Thank you, Elder Moses. Always good to hear from him. He speaks his heart uh, more than the word. He speaks his heart that is impacted by God, and we appreciate that. Let's continue our worship together with the Word of God. And this morning, would you turn with me, uh, turn your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians. And today I will preach from chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. Uh, for the rest of us, if you don't have it with you, you can refer to the uh, projector here. Or for yourself at home, I, I hope you, yeah, you have a Bible with you to turn to that. Or even the bulletin, if you can search for it yourself. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. I read, For I've made up my mind not to make any painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad? But the one whom I have pained. And I, I, and I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I, sure, I felt sure of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has not caused it, he has it not, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put this too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to affirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Verse 12. When I came to Tross to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. This is the word of God. Let's come before the Lord and pray to help us with understanding and applying the word of God into our hearts. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you see our hearts through and through. You know that during the week, we might wonder. But Lord, indeed, every week, you bring us back in order to comfort us in case we are overwhelmed by our own sadness and sorrow. And so, Lord, 
we indeed do ask of you to help us during this time to listen to your word, to pay attention, not because of the man in front of the pulpit, but the Lord, because we want to worship you. We want to know your word is true and it can apply to our hearts that it may flow out in our life that will glorify your name indeed. So Lord, help us this morning not to take this as another session of a lecture, not as a session of knowledge acquiring, but Lord, indeed, it is from you that we may hear the good news of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, I do pray. Amen. So I have to do the ART test. I want to say the art test, but uh, you all know what's the art test, right? The ART test, right? Every Saturday as a staff of the church. Now the Sunday school teachers, yourself, you know that you have to do the test before the classes starts. And uh, I think our safety officer here, Suin, right? Uh, kind of make sure of that. I know it's not easy for all of you, but you do it anyway. So why do we do it? It's a big question, right? Perhaps some of you would say that, oh, this is the law, huh? law, 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 so that we have to obey. Now, that is true. However, if that is the only reason, then we will entirely miss the point in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, I did the test because I love the church. I love the church. I love you. And I'm reminded, reminded of the gospel each time I obeyed to do the test. Now for the skeptic or doubter here, the moment you hear of the word obey, it's like hearing the word Omicron, right? The COVID-19 virus. You want to avoid obedience like you want to avoid the virus. But what if the obedience of the gospel is not like the virus. The virus makes you sick and feel isolated. But the gospel obedience will be the key to free you, the key to curing the human heart disease and deadness of the heart. Now, the nature of the human heart is simply rebellion against God and his authority. The heart does not want to obey. It's not just your heart. It's my heart as well. We don't want to obey. Unfortunately, for many believers, we may even deceive into thinking that biblical love and gospel obedience to the authority are two separate and different things. Then perhaps Mark Dever is the pioneer of the ministry called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. He is right when he put it this way. Ever since the fall, Satan has been trying to tempt us to think that authority and love cannot go together. In other words, there is a demonic and evil influence in this world to make us think simplistically, naively, and even immaturely that all authority is a tyrant devoid of love. That is exactly the deception that the serpent, Satan himself, planted in the minds of Adam and Eve. 
or Eve and Adam. Adam didn't use his authority given by God to chase away the serpent. So they doubted God loving them. Now, after the fall of Adam and Eve, we become more and more suspicious, we become more and more cynical of authority. And yes, understandably so, we find it hard to obey even God's good and godly authority. And for this reason, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter, right, in his letter, uh, 1 Peter in the Bible, he presented the gospel with the good news that all the authority, both good and the bad ones, are borrowed authority from God. The good news is that God will eventually deal with all the bad authorities. And the Apostle Paul absolutely believed that. You see, before Paul's conversion to Christianity, he was a top-notch bad authority. Without experiencing Christ's love, he was abusing his authority and caused the many deaths of Christians. He thought he obeyed God, but he was bringing death to the church of Jesus Christ. However, to Paul's surprise, God dealt with him with the love of Christ Jesus. And Paul knew that Christ's love is the love that obeys. In fact, he knew that he knew the love that obeys bring the church to life in everything. And so this is the big idea of our text this morning. Where do Paul get the idea of the love that obeys? Now, Paul would have remembered God's word in, uh, in the teaching of his elder, the Apostle John, in 1 John 5, 3. And it says this, For well, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, obedience to God's word is not oppressive. It is loving. It is even uplifting. Now back to our text today, we could infer or even deduce that, that one of the things the church of Corinth wanted to know from Paul was how to deal with a certain person. Now that certain person disobeyed God, his word, and brought much pain, not just to Paul, but to the whole church of Corinth. Guess what? Paul replied in a most surprising way. Instead of telling them how to further punish the one who disobeyed, he turned around to test the church if they would obey God. Now, to be sure, Paul applied four tests to examine if the church and himself had the Christian love that obeys. He used two tests on himself, and then he used another two tests on the church of Corinth. So the, for Paul, it was the test of love and the test of rest. For the church, it was the test of encouragement and the test of obedience. And so this, is, this forms the outline of uh, today's sermon. If you want, this is the outline, all right? So the test of love, the test of rest, the test of encouragement, 
and a test of obedience. Now, the Apostle Paul applied the first test on himself from verse 1 to 4, the test of love. Now, the test question for Paul was, would he obey God to love the church though they have wronged and rejected him? From verse, four, uh, verse 1 to 4, we read that Paul goes into detail how and why he works for the joy of the church of Corinth, though he was in conflict with them. But the bottom line is this, that he loves them abundantly, as spelled out in verse 4. Abundantly, as in he loves them fully. He loves them completely. That he was determined not to withhold any of his love and heart for them. So he decided to he decided not to visit the church of Corinth because you know he, he acted on his pastoral discernment. He discerned that he, he his very presence might bring the church of Corinth pain. In that case, there would be no one to receive or welcome him. And immediately he too didn't want to suffer more disappointments. And for those reasons, he wrote a letter to them uh, instead of visiting them again. So, in his letter, he would have said that they were his fruit of labor, right? And, and he worked hard to bring the gospel and joy to them. They should have made him rejoice when he, he meets them. However, he has to resort to writing them a severe letter. And that added pain to Paul himself. And Paul suffered. He suffered in great pain and anguish to the point of crying for them. He told them that he had written his previous letters with many tears. Now, could you imagine he flowed tears mixed with ink and wrote their pain into his own heart. Paul would be, prob would be writing with the ink of love to point out the church, the church's or the church's error against him. Now that proves that he was not a sadist who just wanted to afflict them with more pain. He wrote not to put that down, but to bring them joy in the long run like a good parent would. He did it like a father disciplining a child. He was full of love and his action of disciplining them with a formal letter supported his loving intention. The thing is this, he's, he was willing to suffer short-term pain to bring them long-term joy in Christ. I say again, he was willing to suffer short-term pain to bring them long-term joy in Christ. This is true Christian love. Is a love that obeys Christ's instruction. Christ's love is willing to suffer oneself 
to bring joy, encouragement, and the good news to another in the long run. You see, Christian love is larger than having a warm, fuzzy feeling of acceptance of being inclusive. Christian love is obedient to love despite being excluded. Often, uh, often overlooked here is that Christian love is not an untested love. It is a love that obeys to check the sins of one another. It is a love that tests one another to bring joy. To bring joy despite of the pain. For example, the parents in the world would regularly tell their children. Right, children, you hear this. Huh? See whether it sounds familiar to you. The police, the police will catch you if you do, do this or that. Yeah, does it sound familiar? Yeah, the police will catch you if you do this or that, or you don't do this or that. Why? Why? Because the parents love their children and they want to look in order to love their children well, they, they help them to learn and obey the moral rules and the civil rules so that they don't end up. You know, so that they won't end up being prosecuted. And sometimes both parents and children go through great pain, learning them in the beginning. Why? Why? Isn't it because parents want to bring their children joy, happiness, and freedom from jail in the long run? Just think about those of us who are here. In fact, all of us here, we are not in jail. And for those of us who long, live long enough, you know why our children told us, the police will catch you if you do this or that. Because they love us because they want to bring joy, because they want happiness, because they want us to be free from jail. To be sure, Christian love isn't, uh, is not legalistic. It is not just about the do's and don'ts. The foundation of Christian love is what Christ has done. I say again, the foundation of Christian love is on what Christ has done, right? Christ obeyed his father to the point of death. Now, Paul puts it this way in his letter to the church of Philippi, Philippi in chapter 2. And verse 8 says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Why do they put even as a even to the point of cross? Because the, the death on the cross is a horrendous one. It's the most horrendous, most punishing, most humiliating ever during that time. Christ obeyed even death on a cross. Jesus' love is genuine. Jesus' love is godly. Jesus' love is a, God, is a love that obeys. His death aimed 
to bring joy to the church in the long run while he suffered. Though for a short term, three days, his disciples felt the pain of losing him when he was buried in the tomb. When they met Jesus resurrected, Christ brought the church to life. And through the apostle Paul and others, the church was born. In that case, Jesus' love that obeys bring the church to life in everything. Now, if today you are a believer, Jesus aims to bring life into your family, bring life into your work, bring life, in, life into your classroom, into your friendship in the long run. And in turn, your love that obeys brings joys to others around you. But sometimes, we may cause pain to one another in the short term. At, at those moments, we need to test if we obey Christ to love. Now back to the text. Paul used the first test on himself, the test of love. Now the second test he used on himself is the test of rest. Will Paul be rested in his spirit to reach out to the church of Corinth, though they rejected him first? From verses 12 and 13, though there was a great outreach opportunity that presented itself in Tross, he hesitated. Right? His whole mission was to go and preach you know, a gospel to every region. And that would be very, very exciting. You know? That is the, the job he was called to do. But he wondered if he should carry on with his mission since Paul was having such a grave concern with the conflict of the church of Corinth that is in his heart. In that case, Paul applied the test of rest of the Holy Spirit to himself. He has sent Titus to Corinth and Titus presented the truth and sought reconciliation between Paul and the church. And, but Paul hesitated to, 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 uh, to, to continue to stay in Tross because he wanted to meet Titus to know how uh, it went with the meeting uh, for, between Titus and the church of Corinth. Now he was praying and planning to prevent the devil's scheme from succeeding in the church of Corinth. Paul's concern is not just preaching the gospel. Paul's primary concern then was also that the church and him would apply the gospel truths to themselves. And for that reason, he applied the goodness of Jesus Christ on himself to be rested in his heart. You see, he rested on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and obeyed his father, even to the point of death. He was decisively ready for death. In the end, Paul rested to miss the great opportunity to preach in trust and went to look for Titus instead. Now here, often overlooked is Paul applied two tests on himself in his conflict with the church. The test of love and 
the test of rest. Now let us dive into the two tests for the church of Corinth. The test of encouragement and the test of obedience. From, verses, from verse 5 to 11, the test question is, would the church obey God to encourage the one causing them pain? I ask again, would the church obey God to encourage the one causing them pain? Now, somehow, the church has found out that the offender against Paul was wrong. Or rather, the, and, and, and the Paul and the, and the sinner, the offender against Paul, has wronged him. Now, in verse 6, the word punishment indicates that the offender was under some kind of church censure or discipline. Now, the word punishment in the Greek language used in the context here, and only in the context here, it is more of a censure than a punishment. A censure is a formal statement of warning disapproval. Therefore, it is a case of church discipline. However, the church seems to turn the church discipline into a punishing ordeal and even nightmare for the offender. The offender's sins against Paul, again, was somehow made public, maybe not necessarily through the church, but somehow it was public. Though the offender would have brought nightmares to Paul, Paul here, he applies the gospel, he argues that the written disapproval was enough it was enough to cause pain to draw the offender back to God. Paul doesn't want the church to push the offender away with any form of punishment beyond church discipline in the Bible. Such punishment, Paul argues, would cause excessive sorrow to the offender. In modern language, it's possibly driving the offender into depression, a serious one. Here in our text, Paul saw the opportunity to teach the church to apply the gospel truths in church discipline. He pleaded with them to turn away from legalism. They are to love God and obey Christian love is not simply having a good feeling. Christian love is a commitment to love even in pain. And Christian love forgives. They are to forgive and comfort the offender. Again, the word comfort here in the Greek is parakaleo, parakaleo which has the sense of coming alongside to encourage. Again, like I say in the beginning of the first sermon, right, the whole entire 2 Corinthians letter is filled with the word parakaleo. It's a letter of encouragement more than anything else. How is it like? It's like when my daughter forgot to bring something to school the other day. She forgot to bring something to school the other day and she needed the things for her to leave a CCA in the afternoon. So she made many missed calls and then texted us in capital letters. You know, have you received text in capital letters? You know what that means. I have 
I've seldom received capital letters from her. In fact, this is the first time. She caps it and she tells us the bad news. Right? She was rushing back, uh, from, uh, rushing back home to pick up her things in fear that she would miss her reporting time in school. I brought the things down to my block to meet her. She was in tears. And when she saw me, she said to me, I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry, Daddy. And she just keep crying. I knew she was already punished since she was under tremendous guilt. She was sorrowful and dwelt in her sadness. Now, in a way, I could sense that she was punishing herself. So I didn't scold her. I didn't give her a lecture. I was quiet. Instead, I parakaleo her. I went to her side, alongside with her, and gave her a hug. I comforted her. We then waited for the grab car to send her to school. Now, usually, I wouldn't bail her out of her mistakes. So don't think that this is like every time she do something. This is not uncommon. Uh, this is not common, right? Is that I'll bail her out. This is not the case, all right? But later that night, when we were having our family prayer time, I told her I would bear the full cost for her grab car. It was grace of God for her that she may increase her faith. And we prayed, and I reminded us that we prayed the previous night that she would get to school on time and enjoy it. And guess what? God answered our prayers. She did make it back to school on time, and she did enjoy her CCA. That's applying the gospel, turning every bad news on earth to the good news according to Christ Jesus' grace. we got to find every opportunity to bring and show the gospel grace when we can apply it. As parents, we forgive our children as Christ has forgiven us. We absorb their pain, their mistakes, and make it ours. That's from the heart of parents. We need to show both the law and the grace of God. The love that obeys Christ in the gospel, His good news, in the end, it brings joy, it brings encouragement to the entire family. And this is how we apply parakaleo to the gospel. Living out the gospel. Now back to the text, in verse 8, the word Back is again parakleo in Greek from, uh, from God. It's, it's uh, parakleo, parakleo in Greek. And parakleo was rendered again in English as comfort from God in chapter 1. There's a couple of them. And then in chapter 2, verse 7, again. And in verse 8, parakleo has the sense that Paul will go them 
in person, go to them in person, go to them in person and then beseech them, uh, beseech them to love them, to, to, to come alongside with them and love the person at fault. Paul would tell the church of Corinth in person that this is a test for them to learn and apply the gospel truths, the grace of Jesus Christ. The question for them was, would the church of Corinth pass the test of obedience and encouragement? And if they did, then their love that obeys will bring the church to life in everything. The question and test for all of us is, would our church obey God to love and encourage the one causing us pain? But if the church of Corinth and us don't love and obey God to encourage the church, especially in the case, in the case of church discipline, we would put ourselves in danger. Now, the danger that Paul warns us is Satan, don't miss this, huh? Satan would outwit us with his designs and schemes. Now, Satan cleverly designed schemes to destroy the church all the time, ever since the beginning of time, beginning in Genesis, in, in, in the wilderness, in, in, in the kings, in Israel, up to the time of Refor well, Jesus' reformation, all the time. Satan is very hard at work. There was twofold danger. On the one hand, the church would be excessively harsh, legalistic, and injure the offender. Or on the other hand, they would strive and with disagreement on how to treat the offender. The strife usually concerns, again, church discipline. Some of us tend to be professional purifiers, contending faithfulness to the truth and doctrines at all costs, no matter what. One must give oneself to separating the wheat from the weeds. That's from Matthew 13, by the way. Well, some of us tend to be professional fellowshippers, contended for relationship at all costs. No matter how delinquent, how arrogant in truth, and even malicious the offender is. But you may argue, Pastor, now how it is impossible to have too much love, right? It is impossible to have too much faithfulness to the truth, isn't it? The late J. Robinson McQuilkin. He was a missionary to Japan for 12 years and then president for the Bible College in USA. He wrote an excellent article and then a book giving us a very good insight into the tension between faithfulness to the truth on the one hand and the forgiveness with love on the other. And he wrote in the context of church discipline, and he says this, Perhaps it is impossible to love, to have too much love, or too faithful to the truth, 
However, it is quite possible to have faithfulness to the truth masquerading love. That's what Elder Moses say, huh? just now in the front, right? Hypocrite. When God's people comp compromise through sentimentality or self-love, or for some other reason unwilling to exercise church discipline, they are unfaithful, though they speak much of love. Again, it is quite possible to have unlove masquerading as faithfulness to the truth. When God's people create schism, division, by disciplining the wrong person, or with the wrong motive, or with the wrong way, they are unloving, though they speak much of faithfulness to the truth. I do not ask the ecumenists, which is fellowshippers, to be less loving. I urge him to be more faithful to the truth. I do not ask the separatists, which are the purifiers, to be less faithful. I urge him to be more loving. In other words, rooting only for the truth or rooting only for love, it is unhelpful for the unity of the church because given enough time to fester, Satan's scheme will succeed. The contentions and the conflicts between the purifiers and the fellowshippers will tear the church apart. And we have this in the history of many churches, the history of denominations. We have proved disunity and separation because we don't increase, we don't grow up, we don't mature when we are lacking either the truth or we are lacking the love for one another. If that is true for us, of us, we are not reformed, but malformed, malformed, because we have not learned to apply the gospel truth and lived it out. The test for us is whether we are encouraging one another, but more so, the test is whether we are obedient to the authority of God's word. In God's word, we obey the authority of the church to flourish the lives of our members. Would we pass the test of obedience? If the session, the elders have to carry out church discipline, on those malicious to the church, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I say again, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. It is a last resort of the session and the church to bear the pain. Will we pass the test of obedience? Strive and discouragements usher in the schemes of Satan to divide 
hurt one another and bring death to the church. However, the love that obeys brings the church to life in everything. The truth be told, most, if not all of us, including myself, will fail the test of love, rest, encouragement, and obedience when we do not discern the Satan's scheme. In fact, Satan's best scheme makes us wonder if he exists at all. Or is he infiltrating the church every now and then? In fact, his best scheme is, I'm not here, dear church members. We'll do well to remember that Christ Jesus was tested by the devil in the wilderness before he started his ministry. The devil tested Jesus to surrender his authority as the Son of God. Satan employed the same deception to both Adam and Jesus. Adam as the first Adam and Jesus as the second and best Adam, better Adam. Adam disobeys God's word, but Jesus obeyed. Jesus stood firm on the authority of God's word and promises, and he is victorious to save us. He passed the test. He is the love that obeys. The love that obeys Jesus, he brings the church to life in everything through his death and more so through his resurrection. And then we thank God that Jesus Christ is alive. In Christ, eventually, we'll pass all the tests perfectly when he returns. In the meantime, we love and obey Christ in his living power to bring the church to life in everything. This is the word of God. Let's respond to him in prayer right now.